Essie Oster, thank you very much for coming into the podcast. It's uh, This is our second conversation of all time, and it's been a little bit since we've done a podcast episode, but I'm very excited to talk to you and learn a little bit more about how you got to Gilman, basically. So, Cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, so maybe we can start out with a question that I used for my short fiction class. I'm teaching this elective on short fiction. And I feel like this was a decent icebreaker that I did the other day just to get them get them talking and comfortable in class. Um, Friday night, you've got three options, a concert, a sporting event, or a movie. What are you most likely going to do? Con- no question, concert. Concert? That was me too. What was the best concert you've ever gone to or a concert you want to go to? Ooh. I think I'm going to go with a concert I want to go to because that is something I miss very much about life in the pandemic. I just feel like those opportunities to gather and see live music have been obliterated for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Who do I want to see? Have you been to one since the pandemic? No, no. nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't. Even, I haven't been to a movie or a sporting event. I have been to. I haven't no. been to a movie in years. I don't think a movie in theaters. I mean, no reason, right? Like you just watch it on your, in your living room couch. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been to anything on Broadway. I mean, that I just moved here from New York, and so the opportunities to see, live theater, Hamilton. I haven't seen it. Oh yeah. It's a bummer. Hmm. Hmm. Um, how long did you live in New York? 22 years. 22 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I uh, went to college on the West Coast, came, left Portland, Oregon on my bike, rode my bike down the West Coast and through the Southwest. Wow. Came back to Baltimore for Thanksgiving of 2020, I mean of two, 2000, and moved to New York City. You rode your bike down the entire West Coast. I did. Wow. With, with a couple of hitchhiking That is pretty awesome. on the way. But yeah. Cool. Um, so you grew up in Baltimore around this area, Roland Park. I did. Um, and then you have some connection to Gilman already, right? Your, your I dad. Do. My dad is a Gilman graduate um, and my uncle. Um, and I had a lot of friends from Gilman. Growing oh. up, yeah. What um, what did your dad really tell you about Gilman, and, and like, what was your sense of Gilman as you were kind of growing up in this area? Uh, I knew Mr. Finney's name pretty early on in my life. He was uh, a um, inspiring figure in my dad's life, and um, in fact, when I when my dad turned sixty. I did a project. I was living in Japan at the time. I had a fellowship to live in Tokyo working with uh, homeless people. And so I was away for his big birthday. And I decided that uh, I had just been to the uh, the National Gallery in Tokyo and seen the Japanese woodcut prints uh, with many views of Mount Fuji. The fa- you know the famous one is the wave. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, and so I had this idea that I was going to do 60 views of Bob Oster inspired by the That's views cool. of Mount Fuji. So I started um, reaching out to all kinds of people. And um, I reached out to his friends and colleagues and some of my childhood friends who knew him and obviously our family. 
Um, but I also reached out to Mr. Finney, mm-hmm. who was incredibly gracious and, um, you know, totally rem- remembered my dad and offered this very vivid, sweet memory of my dad on the football field as a senior and the sort of glorious moment that he'd had. And um, and I was grateful at the time for this poignant memory because I knew my dad held Mr. Finney in such high regard. But now that I work in a school, the idea that Mr. Finney, who had had you know thousands of students in his care, uh, you know, <laughs> However many years later that was. I know. I 40 mean, years later, <laughs> remember my dad was totally impressive. Yeah. That's how, that's the, the kind of story or the legends of Mr. Finney that I love is that how he knew everyone's name and remembered all these little details about every kid here and just very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was neat. It was really neat. And that's, that's kind of the podcast is called Path to Follow Podcast after that documentary about uh, Mr. Finney's life that came out a few years a few years ago. So, um, so perfect. You're back, back where you need to be here. Yeah. Well, I have not seen that, but I will be sure to. Yeah. Check yeah. It I think out. I have it in, in the library. It's a great one. Cool. Um. So, what is it like for you to be at Gilman so far? <laughs> I met you in the uh, printing room a couple of weeks ago. We talked a little bit, and it was your first what first day or two yeah. here. Yeah. What's it been like for you? Um, I mean, that is sort of a bigger question about what it's like to be back in Baltimore, because mm-hmm. I have spent many years making choices not to be in Baltimore, um, even though my family is here and I adore my family and I'm back here visiting frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I left Baltimore with the sort of hypothesis that there was a great big world out there that was bigger than the world that I had known growing up in independent school and you know I went went to St. Paul's um and living in Roland Park as a as a kid and I was very very eager to see what else was out there and I took a gap year and as I mentioned I went to school on the west coast and then after college moved to New York and uh, and I've had awesome opportunities throughout my life to live in other countries and um and so I think I had an idea about what Baltimore was that was sort of a a single story that was pretty limited and being back here has blown that up entirely in good ways. And and I think that is true of Gilman as well. I mean, I think I thought of it as this uh, sort of academically rigorous, sporty school and that it, you know, um, educated a certain type of boy. And what I've discovered pretty immediately is that uh, it's, got a really awesome crew of people who students faculty and it's not as uh i think one-dimensional as i had in my mind that definitely want to talk about age 18 definitely want to talk about that and shift into perspective is always an interesting question especially for people that went here and now are you know looking back looking at the school and how it is today um but i'm also curious about uh like all of these travels that you've had or living in different countries and what maybe inspired that and, and whether like you, did you enjoy growing up in Baltimore? Did you like Baltimore and just want to get out and see some other places or did you not really like the area growing up and that led you to travel different places or are you just kind of a traveler? No, I think 
I mean, I think honestly both. I think I liked growing up here and I loved the people who I'm connected to here. Um, and I felt like I wanted to understand what was happening beyond the world that that I knew immediately. And, um, and travel presented that opportunity and, you know, and sort of confirmed that hypothesis. I mean, I really, I feel like I graduated from high school and I was like, I know that there is a lot happening in this world and I went to Australia (laughs) had an epic year-long adventure and study abroad mm, sort of a um, gap year yeah gap year that was kind of a a unfolding adventure in real time (laughs) tell me tell me about (laughs) Australia I'm curious oh boy okay well I went with the idea that I was going to be there for six weeks and when I got there, um, discovered that it there was a, a backpacker scene, and it was pretty easy to um, to work and travel and sort of stop in places and um, and you know get to know the area, work you know maybe in a youth hostel or uh, I don't know. There's a program called um, Wolfing where you can work on organic farms. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked on a on a sailboat that. Traveled around the Great Barrier Reef, and that was pretty oh. amazing. Um, I worked in a shoe store. I worked in a bakery, and definitely the most. All in one year. Yeah, I mean, these were all sort of short stint. You know, I would travel to a a new town and figure out what I could do to keep my adventure going. So you traveled around Australia as well, like all around. All, okay. Yeah. yeah. My dad uh, spent a year there. I think a year after college, and he always says. Like he got homesick, I think, towards the end and came back. And he's always like, I, I kind of wish I spent more time there. And, you know, and because how often are you going to go to Australia? Yeah, like, really. I don't, it's a really long way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the the craziest job I had was I um, I joined a traveling circus <laughs> for three months. And that, oh, was, wow. that was a... Um, it was a, an exciting adventure in contrast to the, um, you know, 11 years prior that I'd spent <laughs> at the same school. How did you get involved in the in the circus? Uh, there were um, flyers posted around Melbourne saying circus helpers wanted. <laughs> and my friend and I called and I was hired as a horse groomer. I also made cotton candy. I was the back end of a two-man um, Chinese lion that came out and sort of paraded around the audience while they were setting up for the actual lion act. Oh, my um, God. I was promoted to the front end briefly, and uh, and it was amazing. It was a totally wild, unplanned, you know, sort of life-unfolding adventure that uh, I... I'm so grateful <laughs> to have been able to have. And you stayed in hostels when you were over there? You just kind yeah. of okay, bopped around? Yep. Um, I'm not, I mean, I, I'm not sure that I uh, that there's a gap year program that I could recommend that would exactly replicate this. But. That sounds so cool. So what was it like uh, coming back from that entire experience? And, and then you went off to college, right, on the yes. West Coast? Yeah. Um, this is funny that I'm talking so much about my parents' birthdays. I came back, uh, to surprise my mom for her 50th birthday and it was, uh, it was exciting to, you know, come back and see my family after almost a year away and, uh, it was awesome. But I had taken a, I had deferred from college for a year, 
I uh, actually decided that I was going to apply to a different college during that year. So I was now going to another school, also on the West Coast. Um, but when I got back, um, and this is also sort of a, a funny Gilman connection, but um, the Donald Bentley Food Pantry, I don't know if you're yep. familiar with that, but mm -hmm. um, Donald Bentley was a, a Gilman student who was killed um, in, in his memory, the Donald Bentley Food Pantry was created by another Gilman student named A.J. Julius, who, I don't know, he might have graduated in like maybe 1990. But there was a group of us who, from different schools around Baltimore who were involved in um, operating the food pantry. Um, and I got involved in, when I was in about eighth grade and then was extremely involved through my high school years. Uh, and when I left to go to Australia, um, we had sort of created a succession plan for the food pantry um, where it was going to be operated um, not by by students. But when I got back from Australia within a few days, um, there was a fire in the building and the food pantry where it is now um, in East Baltimore it was um, like seriously burned and, and we couldn't operate out of it. And so we, um, a couple of us who are still around, Josh Julius, who was AJ's younger brother, also a Gilman grad, uh, and I primarily uh, started running the food pantry out of uh, the back of a semi-truck um, in a mm. lot across the street that I think is actually owned by a Gilman family, Flanagan. Um, and anyway, so I ended up taking another six months off to work on getting the food pantry back up and running. and. Um, and, you know, then went to college six months, like, you know, the spring, fall semester of what would have been my sophomore year. Hmm. Um, and so to your earlier question about what it's like to be back in Baltimore, one of the first things that I did when I moved back was to go back to the food pantry and see how things were going. And Josh Julius is still operating the food pantry every Saturday, giving out food to families in East Baltimore. And... Um, and Josh suggested that I reach out to uh, Donnell Thompson here to mm -hmm. just, you know, sort of make the connection with the food pantry. And so I had a, a great first meeting with him. And, uh, you know, and I am a health educator, but I, I believe that really good health education happens when it's sort of um, multi-pronged and, and interdisciplinary. And so I hope that I can find opportunities to work with Donnell yeah, that'd be awesome. Health education and, um, you know, in support of the food pantry and other initiatives that Gilman is working on. That's great. Yeah. That was a long answer. <laughs> no, but that's that's awesome. That told me a lot about just how that all came back uh, full circle for you moving back here. Yeah. Um, and really your involvement with Gilman growing up in Roland Park. Is Roland Park uh, different than what, what you remember it? Like, like, is it a different kind of... Uh, town and like you know I walk through the town every day I live right down the street yeah I wonder what it was like for you when you grew up here you know um, I loved growing up in Roland Park it's so beautiful and you know I, a friend group that was from the neighborhood that I loved and I belonged to the Roland Park pool and was on swim team and those are all really really great memories um, and so, you know, when we were thinking about, when my family was thinking about moving back to Baltimore, um, Roland Park was definitely high on my list of places that I'd like to live. Uh, um, 
you know, you probably know that the real estate market in Baltimore is really crazy right now, and it's houses get um, sold and or bought, you know, within hours of going onto the market. And so, uh, when we saw a house in Roland Park that happened to be on the same street that I grew up on, um, while I we I wasn't planning to move back to the exact same block that I grew up on, <laughs> got to jump on it. That's that's how it went down, and um, and it's been great. But so yeah, so I I already had a, a very um, warm feeling about this area, but uh, I don't know, I think in the same way that I was saying, I, I kind of had a one-dimensional understanding of Baltimore that is true for Roland Park as well. And, you know, now I'm like, oh, wow, there are bike lanes here and a farmer's market. And, um, you know, it's just been uh, mm -hmm. joyful to to discover this, rediscover this neighborhood as, Eddie's. as an adult. Eddie's. Eddie's. Still rocking it. I don't have the same charge account that I did in high school <laughs> that I took probably too much advantage of. Yeah. But. Well, how could you not? It's right there. Uh, I've got to hit the Starbucks every time I walk by, but. Yeah. Um, that was not there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the banks. Um, so I want to get back a little bit onto you come back from Australia <laughs> and yeah. then you're going out to the West Coast for college. Um what made you want to like come back from being out wet? Like you go out west. I feel like a lot of people stay out there after yeah. college, and you wanted to come back and move to New York. I guess and what was that all about? That transition. Um, I I loved the being on the West Coast. Portland, Oregon is an amazing town. Um, have not been, but Bend, Oregon is somewhere that oh, I want yeah. to go to. I've heard good things Beautiful. about that place. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I wanted to come back to the East Coast. I felt like it was a little too far from my family. Yeah. And I had a I had a lot of friends going to New York after school, some of them for graduate school and some of them, you know, for cuz that's where they were from and so we sort of had a, a cohort like a like a yeah. squad, if you will. Yes. Um, yep. <laughs> that uh ended up in New York right after college and it was it was a really fun time um I didn't have a job when I first got there and that was so you're living there trying to find I had an apartment and I had paid my first and last month's rent so I got there and had at least 30 days accounted for and that was about it and did you know what you wanted to do I did. I wanted to work in the in social services. I, all through college, I worked uh, at a um, women's shelter in Oregon, and so I wanted. I knew I wanted to work in the kind of social services world with, ideally, with teenagers. Um, you know, maybe in maybe homeless teens. Mm -hmm. And where did that interest or or uh, drive passion come from? The like working with teens and, and younger people? Um, I mean, I think my interest was more in social services than with teenagers initially. And then I, I'm trying to remember that time. I, I ended up getting a job. I worked for a temp agency. I was a really fast typist, which gave me a yeah. an edge in the temp agency world. So I got placed as a temp at Goldman Sachs, which is a big investment firm. And I was in their HR department helping their um, 
HR team develop their interviewing skills. And so I just would go to Goldman Sachs every day and get interviewed over and over and over and over by people and they, by their staff, and they were filmed. You were helping them perfect their ability to, oh, wow. Yeah. So you can help me with the podcast a little bit. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> How am I doing? You're great. It's a <laughs> good question. Um, but it, it was, you know, it was helping me develop the ability to, to be in an interview. And um, so it was kind of a, kind of a win-win. Um, maybe, anyway. Uh, it was a great experience. So then my next job at a, the temp agency was at a nonprofit, and I ended up getting hired permanently. And it was a nonprofit that worked with homeless youth in um, in Times Square with a, a particular focus on serving um, LGBTQIA plus teens who were marginalized because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. And... Um, it was an amazing organization, and uh, in you know the the time was right before September 11th, and then you know during and and following September 11th, and you know that was a time in in New York where there was this incredible, you know, obviously um, devastating event, but followed by this uh, sort of incredible community, like coalescing of community and. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I think working within that setting under those circumstances, uh, you know, it was just a, it was a very powerful experience for me as, you know, early in my career. And I think really cemented my interest in working with teenagers and, and feeling like I potentially had the opportunity to positively impact somebody's life, especially if they were dealing with something that was tricky yeah Um, it's interesting you say that um that you were doing something that you're passionate about and it seemed like you knew that you wanted to do kind of right since you moved to new york even though you didn't said you didn't have a job then you still kind of knew what you were interested in what you're looking for and one of my college coaches always told this story that stuck with me is that he was working maybe at a bank i think an investment bank in new york for a while and after September 11th, he completely changed his life. He, he said, I don't really think I'm passionate about this. I don't think I want to do this long term. And he got into coaching lacrosse, public lacrosse in college. And that's what he really, you know, wanted to do with his life. And I always remember that story that, you know, he was doing something that maybe uh, he didn't love. He didn't love it. And that moment that day completely changed everything for him. And I think, you know, you said it solidified for you that that's what you wanted to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to look at those moments individually, but also kind of as a culture, those like inflection point moments. And, you know, and I think in a lot of ways, the pandemic is proving to be that for many people where, you know, we, we've sort of collectively had the, whether it's the opportunity to be, because of being, you know, like quarantined or just the significance of the impact. But I think for many people, it's been, you know, a moment to say, like, is this the life that I want to be living? And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that certainly contributed to my family's major move to Baltimore. Um, And, you know, for us, it's been a a really good thing. And, and, um, and a positive change, but a big change. And yeah, yeah, moving from New York. Yeah. 
um, did you seek out Gilman because you always, you know, you had that, that, that history with Gilman or did you hear about the opening or how did you kind of get involved here at, at Gilman during the pandemic really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Uh, when I started, when, once we knew we were moving and I started looking at, um, job opportunities in Maryland, I was very struck that, uh, there were not a lot of schools that seemed to have dedicated health educators. And in New York, um, over the course of the last 10 years, most schools have moved in that direction so that they have on staff a dedicated health educator. Um, and so, you know, I was sort of like, hmm, that's curious. I, maybe in Maryland, that's not sort of how things operate. Um, and uh, and I, I um, have been consulting with a few different schools in the area doing some health education work. Um, but when I saw the Gilman opportunity posted, I was like, ooh, it's Gilman and yeah. it's a health educator job. And so it's I was perfect. very excited to see the opportunity and apply um, and be offered the position. So what are some of the things that you feel are important to kind of bring to the health um, classroom at Gilman, ninth and 10th grade? You said you're working with just ninth grade this year, right? Yes. Currently, ninth grade um, health and guidance. So what are some of the things that you're kind of bringing into the classroom you think is important for these ninth graders to to know, to realize, to understand, you know, for their high school experience and after? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, well, let me, let me start by saying that um, Nurse Meacham has taught health for a very long time. And so the impetus for hiring, for creating this position was that she obviously has her hands full this year with everything COVID related. So right. cannot imagine that. Yeah, I can't either. She's a superhuman. Yeah, um, for sure. So out of her, the work that she's been doing for many years, um, the, you know, the position, my position was created. And so uh, I am um, picking up where, where she's left off and she has, um, taught, you know, a, a certain set of subjects over the course of the year that, that I'm, um, I'm sticking with, although I think I do bring my own, um, kind of flair to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I'm, and what's been very cool to discover about Gilman is that there is amazing work happening in lots of different pockets of the school. And so, um, I'm excited, you know, first and foremost to be teaching ninth grade health, uh, and, um, you know, picking up where Edie left off. But in addition, I, I'm hopeful that over time I'll be able to sort of um, pull together some of the things that are already happening here that, I, I mean, for example, um, Ms. Summer's talk program in the middle school is mm -hmm. outstanding. Um, and, you know, so be, thinking about the way health education can build over the course of a boy's life here at Gilman uh, mm -hmm. is, is really exciting. Um, Freshman fifth is another area where the peer educators are um, incredible and, and I'm enjoying getting to know them. But thinking about the ways in which the work that they're doing around social emotional support for freshmen can complement what we're doing in the health education classroom where students are learning about, you know, some of the kind of perennial health topics, um, mental health, nutrition, sex ed, alcohol and drug prevention, mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, that's that's kind of a bulk of the ninth grade curriculum. And I think the the flair that that I bring is that I'm very interested in skills based health education. Uh, I think for many years, health education has been very content oriented and um, and that is an important component. But I think in in addition, helping students develop the skills to do something with that content is really uh, a high priority for me. And so I'll give you an example. Um, in our nutrition lessons, I'm interested that students know what the basic nutrients are, um, but I'm probably more interested in holding some space for them to think about their own food choices given their nutritional goals based on you know who they are and, and their bodies, um, and then doing some very concrete menu planning around um, their nutritional goals and the food choices that they're inclined to make. I don't think I ever really thought about what I was eating and how it affected me until college and playing a sport in college and you know having to sit in class all day and then go to practice and have the energy to do all that. Um, you know, usually when you're growing up, you kind of just eat whatever's in the cupboard or whatever looks good. Right, and, totally. And I think that's so important for a high school student, especially the athletes. I mean, right. we have such an emphasis on sports here and they're all out there in the afternoon, you know, sweating and running around and expending all this energy. And if they don't eat right, I mean, yeah. it's it's it affects you, right? Right, right. They're, you know, a person's body especially when you're young, um, you know, you can, they're strong and, and generally healthy. And so they get pretty far regardless of what they eat. But I think the opportunity to think about how to maximize their. Um, it's, it's an edge, I think, for yeah. the sports teams. Right. Yeah. Exactly. If you eat well, you'll you do better. Right. It's just pretty right. simple. It impacts your energy and your endurance and um, makes a difference. So where do you start the curriculum? Like when you start the year off, uh, what do you like to really begin with? Nutrition unit, or do you do you structure in units, or yeah. how do you how do you begin the year? Yeah, Edie started with stress, uh, and I keep saying Edie. Nurse Meacham started with stress, and uh, which I think makes a lot of sense given this moment in time. I think the pandemic has had real effects on everybody's mental health. Mm -hmm. um, so thinking about coping skills. Uh, around stress and anxiety uh, is is critical right now. Mm -hmm. um, and next, she covered alcohol and other drug uh, decision prevention and decision making. Um, and so I picked up with that and then began nutrition. And now we're moving into um, sex ed season. Mm, all right. Yeah, which will take us through the end of the year. Okay, so that's a that's a long unit. Well, it's we. I only really see students once a month, so there are eight lessons in okay. ninth grade health and eight guidance lessons in ninth grade health. So we see Dr. Mo and I alternate between oh, okay. gotcha. groups. Yeah. Um, all right, so stress and anxiety that's probably that's number one that's most important or that's when you begin the year i guess um what are the practical like things that 
and I did talk to Christina Kim about this a little bit, but some things that they can do because I was telling you on the way over here, I've got 80 minute classes and I just taught the third period and you know, they've just been sitting in on a dreary Friday afternoon. It's probably like for a teacher, the hardest, um, time slot, you know, you can imagine to get their attention and get them interested and get them excited about reading whatever we're reading in class. And, you know, they come in there. I did a three minute, like total stillness, no, no, no movement, no tinkering, no texting, no, no lying down either because you don't want to go to sleep. Right. But just three minutes of nothing. And I feel like that is helpful. I'm trying to work that in a little bit at the beginning of the periods. Yeah, I love that. But I think that stress and anxiety is so important for the high school students and some things that they can do on their own to manage that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I totally agree that in general, I think high schools can be a very stressful time and at this moment in particular. And, um, and, you know, coping strategies are so individual and and personal. Um, But I think that behavioral science research has made the benefits of mindfulness pretty clear, like studies corroborate again, you know, again and again, how incredibly helpful it is to develop the skill of paying attention on purpose. And that's the definition of mindfulness that mm-hmm. I use as a teacher. But, uh, you know, it's our brains are, are supposed to be able to kind of be all over the place, uh, you know, and there's evolutionary benefit to that. And the skill of being able to focus and pay attention on purpose and and gain some mastery of our own tendencies to freak out, um, whether it's about, you know, a test we're taking um, or something that's happening socially um, is is very real and human. um, And learning how to cope with that through the practice of mindfulness. And mindfulness can be breathing, right? It can be a mantra, it can be um, guided meditation, it can be exactly as you just described from your class. Um, you know, there's so many different ways that it, that can happen. And I think for all of us, there are different things that work better or worse. And, you know, even on a given day. So you- I always say to my students, like, keep, keep trying different practices, because there may be something that feels like it's beneficial to you. But if you know, you try something and you don't like it, just let it go and try something else. Do you practice mindfulness on your own? I do. Yeah. I have, there have been phases of my life where I am um, more disciplined than others, but I have two small children, they're not that small, but I have two children and uh, we often um do my, you know, have some mindfulness practice to help wind down before going to sleep. Uh, and, um, and I find myself doing breathing exercises. I'm a big fan of box breathing. I don't know know box breathing. No. It's where you breathe in for four seconds. You hold for four seconds. You breathe out for four seconds and you hold for four seconds. So it's, you know, sort of mentally you're making a box with your breath. And if four seconds is too long, it can be how long do you do that for? Uh, a couple of minutes. I mean, often I'll do that if I find myself 
you know, sort of becoming anxious in a in a moment. Like if I'm, yeah, you know, ha- have to make a, a speech in front of the whole school or something like that, I would imagine, you know, that would be a moment when I would uh, do box breathing to try and kind of get myself to a place where I could pay attention on purpose and not be sort of hijacked by my own anxiety. What is the like science behind? So I do this Wim Hof breathing. Oh, you, know you do? I'm, yeah. I love cool. Wim Hof. Uh, it's an 11 minute video on YouTube. That's the only one I use. It's the same one. I go to it every time. And I mean, you just breathe in and out really f- fast and then you hold your breath for which se- seems like forever because it's, it's only a minute and a half, but you're struggling a bit, at yeah. least when you first start doing it. And then you breathe out and then you just do it three times. Uh, but you feel, I think you feel better after doing that than you do like exercising. Like yeah. you have this uh, euphoric state after that. What is like the, what's the science, what's the science to all this stuff? Like the, the breathing yeah. exercises. Yeah. Well, I mean, I certainly, I'm sure that there are neuroscientists who could explain it um, with a lot more sophistication than I can. But I think, and I think Wim Hof in particular, he's he's also the guy that recommends taking ice cold showers. I do that too a little bit <laughs> after I work out because it's, you know, it feels good and you, f- you just feel good after. You don't feel yeah. good during it. Yeah. No, I can't imagine. That sounds terrible. But um <laughs> But I think the whole idea is that you're sh- you're shifting your parasympathetic nervous system and you're sort of resetting, um, which is you know kind of getting you out of that part of your brain which is on autopilot and getting you into a place where you can think about what it is that you want to be thinking about and mm-hmm. um, so you know I think that idea of a reset is one that can come in handy in a variety of, of situations. Yeah. In the classroom, for sure. And I think... And I think on the athletic field as well. Yeah, that's true. I think if I knew more about mindfulness techniques as an athlete, I didn't really use the breathing or the meditation much in high school or in college. And it, it helps you focus so much more. It helps you settle in, be calmer, not react as quickly. Yeah. All of those things. Yeah, I think, you know, I think one way that it's it's described that I, I really relate to is that it, it helps you sort of build in a little bit of space between, you know, sort of your what's happening and your reactions to it. And that little bit of space can be just what you need to mm-hmm. enact your own best thinking. Yes, very true. Did you um, did you come across this like? recently in your position or have you been doing this for a while and known about mindfulness became before it became like you know hot button topic um that's a good question has it been in your life for a while i had a i had an english teacher in high school who practiced mindfulness but then but she was sort of the only person i knew who did that and then and you're absolutely right it's been sort of a a craze in the last decade well i'm wondering because you talked about your experiences in japan and i know just the eastern like this is kind of what they they do in the east is mindfulness and meditation techniques and um i actually went to a buddhist monastery to uh just to check it out and see it was what it was like because i'm into meditation and my friend is into it and he was like yeah there's this blue cliff monastery in the catskill mountains that i've been wanting to go to for a while so i was like yeah sure i'm not doing anything that weekend i'll i'll meet you there and you just show up and there are, there's a massive meditation hall 
um, where you just go and you like sit for an hour, like three times during the day. And then you do walking meditations. And there are all these Vietnamese monks. There are like probably 50 Vietnamese monks and a couple people who just go and stay there for however long. And by the end of the weekend, I was like, all right, I, you know, I'm ready to get back to, to living. But um, that they do that every day, which is amazing. It is amazing. But one thing that I like that you might be interested in, they have this bell that goes off every so often, kind of at random times there. Mm. And I think it's another pretty cool technique because when it goes off, everyone just stops what they're doing wow. until the bell sounds out and you're just kind of in the moment and then you resume whatever it is you're doing. I think that was one of the coolest parts of it because you know all about the meditation stuff. It's pretty like commonly talked about these days, but something like that is kind of interesting for a, you know, stress anxiety point of view is just when the bell goes off, you know, stop whatever you're doing and then you can, you can continue. Yeah. I love that idea of it being sort of built in, to what's happening. Although, you know, I think one of the amazing things about using your breath as a point, you know, as your kind of tool for practicing mindfulness is that it is also built in, right? It is mm -hmm. accessible yeah. all the time. Um, but I like that idea of a bell. I, get, I don't think the school bell is doing the, quite the same thing. No, <laughs> that's when you rush out of the room. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so we're getting toward the end here. I know you have to run, so a lot to talk about. Maybe we can get you back on here. Um, I know. I really, I really went there. I shared, shared it all. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's more to, there's more to talk about for sure. But let's get to your book rec for, cool. for today for yeah. the people listening. All right. Well, this was tough. The picking one book. Uh, I thought a lot about it, and um, I generally like nonfiction. Um, I really like. I'm, I'm definitely a people person and I like knowing people's stories. Um, I am also dyslexic and so I like, I'm a, a slow reader, although I enjoy reading. Um, so, but sometimes I like books that are shorter uh, or I like short stories. Um, but anyway, I selected um, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me, which is a book that I read. I, I, I have it in um, hard copy because I bought it right when it first came out and, um, and read it and loved it. Um, and I was reminded of it recently for a couple of different reasons. One, um, Ta-Nehisi Coates is from Baltimore, and so moving back here, um, uh, I, uh, you know, had a, a moment of, of feeling related. Um, and this is a this is a book that is a letter to his son. And I read it, the book before I had children, but now thinking about his experience in Baltimore, his experience um, having um, a black son uh, and navigating the world as a parent is just, I don't know, it, it's, it, was relatable to me in ways that felt incredibly human and um, unrelatable in ways that reminded me of my own privilege. And um, I don't know, I just, I, I, I loved reading this book at the time and I loved kind of coming back to it. Um, and, you know, and it's, I was thinking about it again. He went to, at least for a time, to Howard University and, and this week there's been such horrible news about 
threats of violence at his, historically black universities and, and that, you know, it's devastating. I, I like to think we're sort of spiraling through time moving forward in terms of, you know, our, our quest for justice and moments like that are, are just a, I think, brutal reminder of how, how much um, work there is to do in the way of anti-racism um, and yeah, and I, I think also the the fact that he was writing to his son and and working in a boys' school is a a new adventure for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm very interested in the the work of educating boys, especially given the topics that that I'm covering through health education. Um, and I you know I think that is the, these are nuanced conversations that I hope we will have in the classroom around. Um, sexual consent and around identity and um, and around you know sort of what our all of our responsibilities are when it comes to decision making about different aspects of our lives. Um, so yeah, that was uh, again a long answer, but uh, this is a great book, and I'm uh, I'm appreciative of the opportunity to to remember it and reconnect to it. Great, thank you. Uh, it's amazing how a, a story in the form of a letter is so appealing to people on the outside reading it, like he wrote this to his son. I mean, I don't know what he had in mind when he when he wrote it, but directed at someone specifically. Um, yeah. And it has such a wide, wide reach. I know it's intimate in a way that makes, I don't know, for me, feels like an opportunity to, to connect on a pretty personal level. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you. And uh, thank you. I just don't want to have you here too long. I know you have something to run to, but thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for the book rack. It was fun talking to you. Hopefully, yeah. um, hopefully we can get you on here again because those those topics that you teach in health education are so important. And for our guys to listen to this, or uh, whether they have you in in class or not, and even for the older students who maybe don't have you in class. Uh, all of this stuff is so important. Well, so. I'm here for all all the students. So whether you have me in class or whether you're seeing me in the hall, my my door is open, and I um, I'm you know I'm here to answer. I've I've gotten a lot of interesting questions over the years, and if I don't know the answer, I'll 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 get back to you on it. But you can really ask me anything. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much.